West Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. If it's your first time, my name's Nathan. I get to be the pastor of this place, at least I think so. My wife and I were trying to get in those back doors earlier, and they were locked. So awesome, guys. We'll try not to take that personally, all right? So, um, no, I, I get the privilege of getting to be the pastor here, and I want to, will you real quick join me in thanking, we had over 40 people show up for the Churchwide Workday yesterday. Will you thank them? We just spent all this time cleaning up outside. There was some work done for the Christmas show on the stage, and the wind has undone half of it. So uh, if you know somebody who went, thank them. Also, I just wanted to let you know about an opportunity that we highlighted last week, ticket sales to our Christmas program, a Colorado Christmas, begin today. And right now, through the end of October, we talked about this last week, it's actually BOGO. It's buy one, get one free. And the reason for that is not to make your family half price. The reason for that is that you would take those free tickets and that you would give them to somebody and invite them. And so we, we have already begun pushing the Christmas show. There's like a little mini commercial that's gonna show Starting this Friday at Elvis Cinemas, every single day before every single show, it's terrifying, at least for me, but that's because my face is on it. So anyhow, please think through somebody you could invite, and when you go check out, the instructions are actually in the bulletin. Um, you'll want to put the total number of tickets you need, including the free ones. Enter BOGO19 into the code box, and it'll, it'll take care of it all at checkout. So all that being said, let me pray, and we will dive in. Heavenly Father. I pray that uh, if there are any obstacles in our minds, in our hearts, just going on in our lives right now, that you would just remove those this morning. Soften our hearts to be able to hear your words. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a question for you. Have you ever thought about the difference between apparently and actually? I mean, aside from the spelling and all that, I mean, what is apparently going on in your life right now? And maybe what is actually going on in your life? See, we, we get this a lot of the time. If you were to come to me and you were to say, Nathan, how are you? And I was like, good. Okay, well, apparently Nathan wants us to think he's good, but you know, actually, maybe Nathan isn't good. Okay, or, or you can think back to when you were younger, or if you are younger, there was a game of apparently and actually that you played with your parents, because a parent would ask you to clean your room, or clean your space. And so you'd get to work on it, and you'd bring them back later, and what you were trying to do was convince them that apparently it's clean. But parents have superpowers. It's called actually power. And what they do is they walk over to the closet, and they open it up, and they go, actually, the closet just got more full. It's what happens with our garage. My wife says, Nathan, can you clean the garage? And later I show her the space, and, and she thinks apparently it's clean, but she knows actually all the tools and the firewood and the gas cans are under our bed now. Um, <laughs> actually, it's the, it's the shed. It is the shed. So sometimes the difference between apparently and actually is very, very clear. And then other times you have to do a little bit of investigating, like what my sister sent me recently. This was from uh, Instagram, and it's, it's up here. You'll see it on the screen. This, this mother was convinced that a ghost baby was sleeping next to her toddler. You see it there on the left? And she freaked out, and she tried to investigate during the night, because apparently there was a ghost baby in the crib, until the next morning actually happened. It was just a tag on the blanket that her toddler was 
was sleeping with. Sometimes apparently versus actually takes a little more. It's awesome. <laughs> I got to find a way to do that. Anyhow. And then sometimes apparently versus actually is really, really hard to distinguish. Like those who showed up. Have you ever seen the demolition of a building before? Have you ever gone to one? I don't know anybody who's gone to one either, but we all want to. So this is what happened in Atlanta, Georgia, when they one morning decided to demolish the Georgia Dome. Take a look. Can you imagine sitting there <laughs> and that happened? I mean, what would be going on inside of you if you had planned on this? You decided to take your day off to watch the demolition, and that bus came along. I imagine what would be going on inside of you is the same thing as the language we had to edit out of that video in order to even show it to you <laughs> this morning. And the reason for that is because oftentimes life, life, what life puts in front of us is an apparently. And it's hard to see what is actually going on at times, and it's an idea we began talking about last week. As we began going through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it was simply this idea that what is inside of you is not stopped by what's in front of you. But when you can't distinguish apparently and actually, well, it can feel like what's in front of me and what's in front of you stops everything going on. Inside of us, and so as we as we walk over the next several weeks through Paul's letter to the Philippians, we're thinking about this idea of thermometers and thermostats, because when you live with apparently in front of you all the time, it's like living like a thermometer. A thermometer is just going to register the same conditions as as those that are around it. But Paul would say, no, no, no. There's a, there's a different way to live. There's there's a way better way to live. It's like a thermostat. Where God could use you and God could use me to actually have an impact to shape the spiritual climate of the spaces that His people are in. In fact, Paul, Paul from prison, he wrote this letter, and when Paul looked at what was in front of him, what was apparently going on, here's what he said. He said, "Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and here's this word, has actually served. There's an actually." It's actually served to advance the gospel. Now you got to think about all that had happened to Paul that he could have been referencing. He might have been referencing his time in prison. He might have been referencing being shipwrecked. He might have been referencing being on the run, or maybe appealing to Caesar for his life, or house arrest, or another two-year imprisonment. It could have been any number of things. But if I were to jump from Paul over to you and me, isn't it true? That when you think about what has happened to you, when you just read his statement there, all kinds of things come to mind, don't they? I mean, just take a minute and think back on all that has happened to you. And Paul would say, in the midst of that, there's one thing you got to know, and there's one thing I need you to know this morning: that there's an actually in the midst of your apparently. 
there is an actually that God is up to in the midst of what is apparent to your eyes and to my eyes. The problem is we don't see that deeper actually a lot of the time because we get caught up in the apparently. And so as we continue to read what Paul is saying in this next part of the letter, you're going to see that he's getting at something, that if you'll just look at the apparently in front of you, whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstances are, if you can look at the apparently in front of you and you can begin to break it down into parts, there's a lot of reason to have joy because there is an actually in the midst of it. And he begins to point at one part of what was going on in front of him, but also what goes on in front of us. And it's this idea of adversity. He has a different word for it. See if you, see if you pick it out in verse 13 of Philippians chapter one. As a result, he says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What we would call adversity, Paul would say, it's chains. I'm in chains. But there's another word here that he points out that I think we've got to camp out on, and it's the word clear. It has become clear. Now, this is hard for us because when you and I get into the midst of the apparently and the fog of apparently, isn't it easy? Isn't it really, really easy to go, Paul, clear? I mean, nothing is clear about this situation. Nothing is clear. Well, and Paul would probably say, well, to you. To you, it's not clear. Because if you look at what he says there again, it says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. What if? What if your chains and what if my chains maybe weren't meant to make something clear to ourselves? Maybe they were meant to make something clear to somebody else. And that's exactly what happened for Paul. Because the thing you have to know about the Roman guard that stood guard over prisoners, or whether somebody was in house arrest or a group of prisoners, is there were about 9,000 of these guards throughout Rome. And these guards, when they would stand a guard over a prisoner, they would take between six, eight, maybe 10 hour shifts. Now think about this for a minute. This is Paul. Okay, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul, whose life was so changed by Jesus that he just couldn't help but tell people about it. And Paul, who had crossed every border and plant any church that he could. And now he's one-on-one -on -one with a Roman guard. And they're stuck there for six, eight, ten hours. If you're that Roman guard, you think you're going to hear about Jesus? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, Paul says, look, I'm in chains, and I've got adversity, but this is an opportunity, is what it is. But that's not all. He said there's another thing at work in verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, I read that sentence, and there's something that pushes back inside me, because what do I want God to use? He says, because of my chains. But you and I, we don't want God to use our chains. We want God to use our successes. We want God to use our accomplishments. We want God to use our achievements, don't we? Paul says, no, no, no. It's because of my chains that people have become confident and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I mean, isn't it true? Is you just think around your life even if you thought outside your circumstances for a minute, 
If you just thought about the people around you in your life that are walking a hard road, isn't it true that if you were to look at them and there's even an ounce of trust in God, even an ounce of faith, it may not be just so strong. It might be hanging by a thread. But when you see them just putting one foot in front of the other, isn't that so perspective-giving? It's incredibly perspective-giving. And Paul had become aware that there were people outside those prison walls who knew of his situation. And Paul had become aware that this had somehow emboldened, emboldened them, and that they, they would dare to speak of the gospel. It, it's just so interesting that you have Paul in chains, and he says, huh, this isn't adversity. And it's the first thing you got to know about the apparentlys that come up in front of you. That what looks like something happening to you is actually, there's an actually to it. It's God doing something through you. Now, during the fall, you often get to hear, I'm, I'm a Michigan football fan, okay? And listen, I was born there. We lived there like a year. I did not grow up there. I just never stopped rooting for them from, from like the day I was born, okay? And so here's, here's what happens as a Michigan fan. There's a lot of disappointment, okay? There's a lot of, in fact, this happened two years ago. Let me show you a picture of a guy that national TV caught. Take a look at this guy. All right. This was at the end of a game, and Michigan just blew this game. They lost to Michigan State. Michigan State fans, quiet, all right? But they had lost this game, and when it was clear that Michigan was not going to be able to come back, um, national TV caught this guy. They caught him on the screen. And, you know, it became this viral sensation, and it was put out there all over on every platform and, so, and social media. And what happened was about a year and a half later, a media outlet caught up with this guy. And they said, okay, so that was obviously just an honest reaction to the loss of a football game. But how has your life changed in that time? And his answer in the interview, he said, it's been incredible. And they went, well, why don't you tell us more about that? And you find out as you read this interview that in that time, since this went viral, this guy has suddenly, one, one young woman reached out to him and she said, finally, somebody understands my life. She said, this is how I wake up or I go through every single day. And then she hashtagged, will you marry me to him? <laughs> he was invited to the ESPYs. It's the ESPN annual awards to, I think, just do this pose, honestly. But he said as he walked around the campus of the University of Michigan in this interview, so many people said, I get it. I get it. And suddenly this thing that had happened to him was something that could now happen through him. Paul says, I know it looks like adversity, but actually it's an opportunity. And then he begins to, to point at the second part of the apparentlys of life when they come up. And this time... He's going to point at something else. It's, it's opposition. Take a look at what he says. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Isn't it interesting where Paul says his rivals are? He's not pointing at a Roman guard. And he's not pointing at any Roman, really. Who's he pointing at? He's pointing at those within the church. 
And isn't it true that maybe one of the things that has caught you off guard is when you and someone else disagree, maybe within the church? Paul says, that's what I'm facing. That's what I'm facing. And then he says this thing, knowing that they've got false motives, knowing that their character is maybe subpar. He says this thing that I just, I have a hard time with. Verse 18, but what does it matter? Okay, what? What does it matter? Like, we've got this phrase, you've heard this before, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. See, we think, God, shouldn't the message and the messenger, shouldn't they line up? And Paul elsewhere, you could point at some things he says where he'd say, well, yeah, that's a good thing. But from where Paul is, he can't go to any of these people. He can't have a discussion with any of these people. And so he says, in the midst of my circumstances, even though there are those that are trying to stir up trouble for me that oppose me, there's a win. There's a win. And he points at it in in the next part of verse 18. He said, the important thing, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or from true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, I got to admit, I read this and that is just, that's just hard for me. That's hard for me because I go, I look around and I go, but God, what about integrity? What about the messenger being part of the message? What about your work inside somebody furthering the message? And immediately, it was like a mirror was held up to me. It was like, so, so Nathan, you're saying, saying I can't use somebody with false motives? Nathan, have you, have you ever had false motives when it comes to Jesus? And instantly, I flash back to this time as a teenager where it was like God was saying, remember that time? Remember that time you told that girl you thought was cute that you loved Jesus because she was at church and you thought that's what she wanted to hear? Yeah, yeah, there was that time. It wasn't Kara. It wasn't Kara, by the way. I found out later, she thought, she, she had said the same thing to me because she saw me at church. And she told me years later, that's what kept her going to church. And I thought, oh man, God, you can. You can use anybody. And that's the great news in this part of the passage. That no matter how flawed the person, God can bring about. He can, there's an actually. He can bring about his message. Isn't that great news that I don't have to be the best me on my best day and you don't have to be the best version of you on your best day with your best plan in order for God to work. It's pretty incredible to think about. And what Paul's getting at here is that what looks like opposition is actually somebody that God put in position. What looks like opposition may actually be somebody that God put in position. There's a, there's a 19th century Danish philosopher by the name of Kierkegaard. You may have heard of him. And Kierkegaard used to tell a lot of stories, and he would speak in these short stories. And he, he spoke one time about the dynamic and the challenge that those in the church and those who are going to represent Christ that they face. He said, it's kind of like a show at a theater. There was a play, and somebody's role was to be a clown. And as they looked around right before they went on stage, a fire had broken out backstage. And they realized they had to get everybody out of the theater. 
And so they ran out on stage and they said, the theater's on fire, you've got to get out of here. And the crowd loved it. Because why? Because of the appearance of this character. And Kierkegaard, he points at that and he says, isn't that the battle we all face? Isn't that a battle that you need the very help of God to win? Because we all have our motives and we all have our flaws. And yet, God says, I can use that and I can use that and I can use them. And Paul is looking at this going, maybe they're not opposition. Maybe God's put them in position. Finally, he points at another familiar apparently for us. It's that of defeat. Because the thing you have to know is that as Paul was sitting here in prison, Paul was awaiting trial. Paul was awaiting trial, and many think that the emperor at that time was a man named Nero, and things did not go well for Christians while Nero was emperor. Look what Paul has to say in verse 19. He said, For I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is fully aware that his trials could go one of two ways and that death was a very real possibility. And so he says, in light of that, in verse 21, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that's an interesting statement. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If you and I were to swap out that word Christ with any other word outside Jesus, the end of that phrase changes to loss. If to live is money, then to die is loss. If to live is just my well-being, then to die is loss. If to live is for, for me to be happy, then to die is the loss of that thing. But Paul says, but to live is Christ, which changes his outlook, which helps him see the actually. If to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he explains what he's getting at next. He says, if I'm going to, go to live on, I'm sorry, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. And he explains what this fruitful labor is. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. In other words, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to face the hardships. I desire to depart and to be with Christ because it's far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Have you noticed how progress-oriented we are? It's the accumulation of our resources. It's the furthering of our happiness. These are, these are good things. But Paul says... When you look at the actually, when you can see what God's actually doing, there's more than just my progress. He says, for your progress and your joy in the faith. What you have here is Paul saying, look, if I had to choose, I'd want out. 
but for your progress, I will remain. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that there's an incredible joy when you get to hear how God has used you in somebody else's life? I mean, can you just imagine one day at the end of your life that maybe somebody would step forward and say, I didn't know if I was going to make it, but God used, insert your name. I mean, isn't that just the thought of that? Isn't that an incredible thought? Isn't that something so different than what we wake up and we're oriented to every day, the apparentlies of life? Whether it's smooth sailing or resources or well-being or whatever it is, Paul says, yeah, there's, there's something better. What Paul's getting at is that what looks like an earthly defeat can actually be used for eternal progress. What looks like an earthly defeat, and for him it was a trial, and it might have been, meant the very loss of his life. But he said, if I know that you're making progress and that you have joy in your faith, then there's eternal progress. I love how sometimes God just um, gives me illustrations like kind of out of the blue. And so literally 17 hours ago, he decided to give me this one. And uh, we were at a park just not too far from here. And we were gone from our car for about an hour. We get back to our car and our van window is smashed in. And my wife's wallet was gone. And we're getting phone calls from an 800 number and found out that over $1,500 had been charged at King Supers. It's like, dang, that is some awesome grocery order right there, first of all. What did they get? But I just sat there, and it's so funny, I just was stewing and stewing and stewing. We got home, turned on the Michigan game, they lost to Penn State, and I was like, <laughs> obviously a Penn State fan smashed our van window. <laughs> And I just couldn't stop churning on this and churning on this and churning on this. And then I just went, you know what? God has this funny way of using all things. And, and I, to be honest, that's as far as I can give you this morning. That's all I know about this story. But I found somewhere in my heart, I found, and, and I don't know where this came from. I know who it came from. But I sat there and I just thought, maybe, maybe this was part of somebody else's journey that maybe there's a rock bottom that comes from this pattern of behaving and doing things and going through life. And maybe this was just one step in the plan that God ultimately can redeem because the longer you walk with God, the more you realize that there's always an actually in the midst of the apparently. There is always an actually and that actually might show up today in the form of justice, or that might show up decades down the road in another way, in somebody coming to find him. But can we see that in the middle of the apparently? And so Paul would say, as you're looking at that bus in front of you that blocked your perfect view, as you're looking at the apparentlies of life, the adversity, the opposition, the apparent defeats, you got to know that God's actually unlocks the chains of your apparently. You've got to know that God's actually unlocks the chains of your apparently. I mean, just knowing that, wouldn't that kind of change the narrative you're telling yourself a little bit? I know it does for me. 
It does in a powerful way for me. Because here's, here's what I think happens a lot of the time. We get so caught up in the apparently that we'll also shove out anybody that wants to say actually. And yet the sweetest thing you could hear in the middle of that situation, circumstances where you can't find joy, is that somebody would come along and say, well, actually, can I just tell you something that maybe you didn't know? Well, actually, you know who knew this? Jesus knew this. Yeah, duh, Nathan, of course Jesus knew this. But there was a time that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was sitting in a prison cell. And this is John the Baptist who had proclaimed and proclaimed and proclaimed who Jesus was. And he had told people, he's coming, he's coming. And then when he came, he said, there he is. Go, follow him, there he is. And yet, some time goes by, and John ends up in a prison cell, and suddenly he sends two of his disciples to Jesus. And it's not with assurance, it's with tremendous doubt. Because in the midst of John's, apparently, he's struggling. And he sends them to ask Jesus, are you the one? It's so interesting to me. The one who had pointed at the one is now wondering, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Because from where I sit, in my apparently, it doesn't look like it. And Jesus knew exactly what John the Baptist needed. And he knows exactly what you and what I need. You know what that is? Good news. And so he sent a response back. He said, tell John. Tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed. In other words, John, everything that you told people I was going to do, I'm doing. God is up to, even if you can't see it, from your prison cell. So here's my question for you. Who, this week, or maybe this month, whatever the timeline looks like, who in your life has permission Who has like an all-access pass into your life that in the middle of you talking about apparently they have permission to go, okay, I hear you. I hear everything you've said. Now, can I talk to you for a minute? Can I tell you about an actually? And you look for somebody that you know has their eyes on God's actually. And when they start talking, just close your mouth and listen, and you will hear what God is actually doing with the chains of your apparently. We, we tend to push those people out. You've been in conversations where somebody's like, well, actually, and it's like, I'm not talking to them again. We go to apparently people because they support and they confirm what we think and our narrative. And yet Paul, in the middle of his prison, he had to rely on those who would report to him what is happening outside the prison walls. If you'll do that, I will tell you this. There's going to come a day where you're walking along, you know, go, huh, these, these chains I've been walking around in, suddenly they're a little bit lighter. Or maybe, maybe you'll see that they just fell off because God's actually unlocks the chains of our apparently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we could just sit all day and be overwhelmed by the amount of the actual good news that you want to bring about in the midst of what we think may apparently be bad news. And so I pray, I pray for myself and for every single person in here in this body, this church, that as we walk forward in the days ahead, 
Where we see adversity, remind us of opportunity. Where we see opposition, remind us that that's somebody that you may have put in position to further your good news. Where we, where maybe we just see defeat, remind us that you are making eternal progress every single day in every single way. Let us individually and as a church be those who bring the good news of your actually to one another, to this community, and to this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.